0: It's because I, I like, try to do some sort of contraption to raise it, because it's kind of too low for me. So if it falls, don't be startled. It's just my kind of crazy thing that I put under there. And if there's a shortage of Bibles, there's some up here. It's kind of my backup in case it falls down. Um, this is your first time here, um, or you've only been recently starting to come out on Friday night, so I just wanted to extend my welcome to you. Um, we're glad that you're here, and we hope that you'll be encouraged after leaving here tonight. If you have any questions or anything, or just want to say hi, or um, there's people, including myself, who would be more than willing um, to just meet you and and talk to you. Um, For the regulars here, um, I'm glad you're here too. What's up? What's going on? Um, So um, over the past couple of months, uh, like Alex said, uh, we've been going through a series on Judges, um, which is a book found in the Old Testament that highlights Israel's pattern of disobedience towards God. It's been the same story over and over, right? It goes like this. First, Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord, right? Second, God allows them to be oppressed. Third, they cry out for help. And fourth, God sends a savior or a judge to deliver them. So for a period of time, there's peace, but then the cycle just starts over and over again. They do evil they get oppressed, they cry out for help, God saves them. I remember asking someone maybe a a month or two ago about what they thought of this series so far, and he said, um, it's been good, but it just gets kind of repetitive. It's kind of like the same thing happening over and over again. And he was right. The book of Judges shows the same thing happening over and over again. It shows how Israel is morally in in a downward spiral as as God um, continues to give them over to their sin, but it also shows god 's continuing faithfulness as He delivers them time after time, okay so now, as we're continuing on in chapter fifteen of judges, uh, we should expect the same pattern to unfold right sin, oppression, repentance deliverance that 's the cycle now before we get into our section, I kind of want to review the past two chapters. Um, we kind of had a break last week. Um, I just want to review them to remind us of what has already taken place um, in this, like, Samson quadrilogy we're going through. Um, So in chapter 13, um, we start out with kind of the same old tune, right, in verse 1. It says, and the people of Israel—you can—I guess you can turn—you can open your Bibles to the book of Judges. I'm just kind of going to glance through chapter 13 and 14. Um, In verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, and the people of Israel, again— did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So Israel was pretty much on track to start the cycle again, right? And of course, it meant that God would have to send another Savior to deliver them. Now, if you remember, this Savior, Samson, right, was introduced in a special way, okay? He was set apart from birth. Verse 3 says this, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren, and you have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So the angel of the Lord declared that Samson would be born of a woman who had previously been barren. And in the past, this usually only happened to very significant men used by the Lord. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Rebecca gave birth to Jacob and Esau. Rachel gave birth to Benjamin and Joseph. All of these women were barren, but God opened up their womb so that their sons would be used by God in a special way. And we can see that at the end of the chapter, in verses 24 and 25, that when Samson was born, the Lord blessed Samson, and it says, the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. So even before Israel cried out to the Lord, God already took the initiative to raise up this Savior behind the scenes, okay? And so this looked pretty promising for Israel, right? It sounded like this child could be the one to lead Israel to lasting peace. Maybe he would be the strong leader um, that they needed to break the cycle and, and lead them out of this downward spiral of disobedience and oppression. But we already know the pattern, right? Kind of already seen this time after time. We know Israel's tendency to wander. So we would expect somewhere in these four chapters to see the next step in the cycle, right? We saw that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We saw that they were oppressed by the Philistines. We even saw that God preemptively raised up a savior. But there was one step that was missing, right? Israel didn't cry out for help. They didn't seek forgiveness from the Lord. The cycle, it did change, just not in the way that we had hoped for. For some reason, Israel stopped pleading with God to deliver them from their oppressors. They stopped repenting. And I think this is significant because it implies that something was now very different about their oppression. Something was different about their attitude towards it. See, in the beginning of chapter 14, we saw that Samson found his Philistine wife-to-be in the city of Timnah, okay? And Timnah was a city located on the border of Judah um, in the Promised Land. So this city, it was deep within Israel's territory, okay? And that's significant because It means that the Philistines, they were already cohabitating with Israel, okay? They were settling in and living normal lives with Israel, so much so that Samson had nothing in his conscience conscience telling him um, that marrying a Philistine was wrong, okay? It was right in his own eyes. Remember that phrase? And even though his parents advised against it, though, they didn't really do much of anything to stop him either, right? And furthermore, Samson and his family, they were able to roam in and out of Timnah freely. They were able to even, like, throw a party over there for his marriage. So if they were being oppressed, it sure didn't seem like it was that bad, like, compared to the previous oppressions, okay? Um, the Bible describes before that they were being crushed, right? Um, it almost seemed kind of peaceful. So maybe Israel didn't cry out to the Lord because... They didn't mind having the Philistines ruling over them this time. They were almost accepting of the circumstance. But we're going to revisit this a little bit later, okay? Okay, so Samson ended up marrying this Philistine woman in chapter 14. And during the whole courting process, well, I don't know if there was a courting, during the whole process, um, we got to see the first glimpse of just how strong Samson was, right? In verse 6 of chapter 14, he he ran into a lion, right? But he tore it to shreds with his bare hands, right? Like it was a young, I think a young goat or something. And then he also scooped some honey out of that dead lion while bees were like swarming around him, right? So not only was he strong in the sense that he could probably like bench press like 5,000 pounds, but he was also in some way probably immune to attacks or pain. I don't know but this guy he was supernaturally strong okay he was kind of like the original superman with like kryptonite haircuts or something but not only was he the original superman he was also the original riddler right he he like he said out of the eater came something to eat out of the strong came something sweet that was his like little rhyme you remember that and in verse 12 he actually like made a wager of 30 garments to anyone who could solve his riddle about that encounter with the lion and the bees. Okay. It's kind of strange, right? I don't know. He's like this super strong manly man, you know, telling these like ridiculous riddles. Um, it's like he's someone straight out of the movies. And, you know, actually I was just curious about this. This is kind of a random note. Um, because the story of Samson, I thought, man, it's just so packed with like crazy events and Samson himself, he's just like a crazy guy, you know? Um, it sounded like a perfect candidate for a movie. So I looked it up, and apparently there is a movie that was released last year. I don't know if you guys have. It was called Samson, and it was based on um, a story from the Bible, okay, or the story from the Bible. But unfortunately, it was re- released on the same day as Black Panther, okay? So it's like, hmm, Samson or Black Panther? Which one should I watch, right? It's a tough decision, um, I guess maybe if you had, like, movie pass at the time, you'd say, oh, I may as well just watch it. But, but guess what? It's on Netflix now. <laughs> so if you're curious and you want to watch it, you can go ahead and watch it when you get home. Unfortunately, or maybe maybe fortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch it. But if you do, I, I would, you know, just temper your expectations because the reviews are pretty bad. Um, um, but if any of you want to watch it, I'd be down to watch it, actually, if anyone's interested. But anyways. Um, okay, so Samson he told this catchy riddle, right? And of course he expected that no one would be able to solve it, right? Because he was, he was the only one there. It was his own personal experience. He was the only one to witness it. So he was kind of like a tricky kind of guy too, you know, kind of like the Riddler, you know? But long story short, his wife pretty much nagged him to death to get the answer, as they sometimes do. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, the men who participated in Samson's challenge um, threatened to kill her and her father if she didn't help them solve the riddle. So she ended up convincing Samson to tell her, and um, she ended up spilling the beans and causing Samson to lose the bet. Then in anger, Samson went out and pretty much he killed 30 people by himself in a Philistine city, okay? He killed them for their clothes so that he could pay his debt. I guess he like, you know, wanted to protect his credit score or something, you know, it's kind of kind of strange. But At the end of the chapter, um, it just casually mentions that his father-in-law also gave his wife away to marry his best man, okay? So this is like a crazy drama, right? Like any, like, good drama, chapter 14, it kind of left us hanging with some shocking news um, to get you back to come next, to get you to come back next time. Um, That's kind of how these movies kind of get you, right? Like, you're just like, okay, just... One more episode. I remember, like, I tried to do this with 24, like Jack Bauer, you know, 24. I tried to do like the, let me watch 24 in 24, um, and every single episode had this hook where like you just didn't want to stop. It's like dun dun dun. Previously on 24, but um, I feel that way when I read this story, like Samson. It's just like so dramatic. There's so many like crazy things. It's like it's pretty ridiculous so far, right? Um, that that's what happened in the first two chapters. So, so the exciting announcement um, about a new savior being born for Israel—it's turning out to be this big, crazy story, kind of like a big disappointment. Okay, maybe like Samson the movie. <laughs> but their new savior, Samson, is more like kind of an anti-hero, right? He's kind of like an anti-hero in some crazy Korean drama. Um, just not much any of any deliverance is going on here, right? He's just this buff guy who has a hot temper, acts like a kid. He didn't seem to have any direct intention of rising up against the Philistine rulers, so far at least. But God promised that he would use Samson to deliver them. And even though we still won't see the full story tonight, we'll continue to see kind of like a bigger glimpse of God's plan for rescuing Israel through Samson. And that brings us here to chapter 15, 15. Where at first glance, things don't really seem to be getting much better. Okay? There's like this ongoing back and forth, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth between Samson and the Philistines. But tonight we're going to see how God uses Samson to accomplish his purpose in spite of all the things that have already happened. Okay? Before we go any further, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for giving us your word. We ask right now that you would teach us today through this book. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us um, soft hearts, um, just so that your spirit can convict us of anything we learn tonight. pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so tonight, we're going to be covering chapter 15 in three sections, okay? Three sections. Mostly... um, We'll just kind of walk through the narrative together. It's kind of a bigger text. Um, but here's the outline that we'll use to help us, help keep us on track. Okay? We're going to look at three events in Samson's life that God used to accomplish his purpose. Okay. Three events in Samson's life that God used to accomplish his purpose. And here they are. I'll give you a preview here. First one is. Samson's retaliation. That's verses one through eight. Second one is Samson's rejection. That's verses nine through fifteen. And the third one is Samson's revival. That's verses sixteen through twenty. So it's like the three R's. (laughs) Three R's. You know, like a pirate kind of um, retaliation, rejection, and revival. So first up is Samson's retaliation in verses 1 through 8, okay? We're going to look at how God used Samson's retaliation to achieve his purpose, okay? So let's start with verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, um, this is in chapter 15 of Judges. After some days, I'm reading from the ESV, by the way. At the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. Okay, so not too much time has passed since that whole wedding feast riddle fiasco, right, where Samson killed off 30 Philistines just for their clothes. Um, and so most likely, Samson's wife and her family, uh, they must have still been pretty embarrassed, right? Wouldn't you be kind of embarrassed from that incident? Um, after all, like, that was her new husband, right? He probably didn't make the best first impression, okay? But actually, Samson, in this section, out of good faith, he wanted to, he wanted to make amends with his new family, he must have felt at least some remorse for what had happened because he tried bringing a gift on his visit back. Okay? Nowadays, husbands try to bring flowers or chocolate to apologize to their wives, right? But this guy, he just brought a young goat. It's like, bah, right, you know? Um, and I actually thought that was pretty cool, you know? Maybe next time I'll try that if I do something dumb to embarrass my wife or something, just roll up with a goat. Okay, that was bad. Okay. Um, anyways, he brought the goat as like a peace offering to make up for him kind of, you know, being gone or, or like maybe doing all those dumb things at the party. It was his token of reconciliation. But as he went to visit her, it says at the end of verse one that her father would not allow him to go in. Now that seems pretty strange, right? That That's his father-in-law. His father-in-law wouldn't allow him to see his own wife, okay? Something must have been up and, and so then look at the, his excuse or explanation in verse 2. This is what the father-in-law says. He says, oh, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion, or best man, as we knew from the previous chapter. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. Wow, right? Like You can't make that, stuff, that kind of stuff up, okay? This is in the Bible, okay? Imagine if this happened to a recently married couple today. Like, Vincent and May, right? Imagine if this happened. So, like, Vincent gets off of work, he goes home to see May, but instead he's greeted by her dad. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you can't come into the house to see her, all right, man? And Vincent's like, dude, like, that's my wife, you know, what's going on here? And he says, oh, I thought you hated her because she ruined the punchline to your joke. So I actually let her marry your best man, Amos. (laughs) Okay? And, you know, now they're married. Oh, but don't worry. You can have her sister. it. like she's more beautiful than her anyway, right? Right. I mean, I, it's like it's like ridiculous. It's jaw dropping. Like how in the world this is? This is crazy. I mean, even for like a soap opera, this is like ridiculous. Okay. But this is an ex- kind of an example of how sinful these people were. Okay. And I don't really know what the dad was thinking, right? I mean, his son-in-law, he just casually went, he just had just casually went out and killed 30 men for their suits, okay? And that's the first thing that you said to him? Like, he must have been scared out of his mind when Samson came knocking on the door, right? In fact, he was so scared that he had to offer his other daughter to marry him, like, to try to make up. This, you know, that wasn't some, like, old custom back in the day, right? It it was just as despicable back then as it would be today. So almost justifiably, Samson got angry and he wanted revenge. And he said in verse 3, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. And judging by Samson's response, he actually acknowledged that he might have been wrong for killing those 30 Philistines the first time. He said, this time I shall be innocent, implying that he was guilty for what he did earlier. Right? He might have even regretted doing it at the time, but now all he feels is vengeance. He, fe- he feels like his vengeance is it's going to be justified, whatever he's going to do. And instead of just killing them, wouldn't right, I mean, you think, okay, it's pretty messed up, he could just kill them, right? He ends up attributing that wrong towards the entire Philistine nation. Okay? So even though he was personally offended by um, his new Philistine family, Samson perceived it as kind of a general disposition against Israel. He thought this was how the Philistines always treated Israel. So he was indignant. Okay? Now look at what he does to retaliate in verse 4. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Now in a war, one of the best ways to do harm to your enemy is to damage their economy. Okay? Back in verse 1, we were told that um, this section or this story actually took place during the wheat harvest. You remember that? Normally, wheat it was sown kind of in the winter or spring, and then it was harvested later in the summer, where there was um, less moisture, so, like most crops, it took months of labor and patience to prepare for the harvest okay? and back then they didn 't have any modern stuff or anything like you know to preserve like food, um, like you know I can put a loaf of bread in the refrigerator and last for like pretty long <laughs> uh, anyways, okay, so burning up. Um, Burning up both the standing grain, that's the grain that's like still in the ground standing, and the stacked grain, which is like, you see in the pictures, it's like stacked and like like tied up. Burning all this stuff during a peak harvest time, it's a big deal to a nation, okay? And so what would have been in abundance, it was now scarce. Not to mention the olive orchards that were burned as well. And so it was a huge blow to the Philistine economy because... It probably would have it caused a, a probably would have caused a famine and forced the Philistines to trade their resources with other nations just to get what of what they would have normally had from this harvest. And if you ever played like settlers, you know that game you ever played like settlers in Catan, you kind of know the struggle, right? You you have no wheat to build a city. So you trade your wood, but now you can't build roads. And then you trade your ore back for the wood, but now you can't build a city, right? Okay, it's tough. Um but if you have an abundance of any resource of any resource, you could always trade it for whatever you needed. Right? So the point is Samson's retaliation against the Philistines, it was crippling to their nation. Okay. It wasn't just like some like, you know, Smokey the Bear forest like fire. Well, I mean, actually, okay, there's a lot of big fires, so I don't want to say that. But it was a big it was a big it was a big deal. Okay. Now the way that Samson chose to carry out this. Revenge. It was kind of strange. I thought it was kind of strange, at least. Like, it kind of like reminded me of Criminal Minds, like how they have these over elaborate schemes to accomplish the crime, right? Instead of just going around and burning the wheat fields or burning the orchards, or- or he somehow caught these like 300 foxes, um, and he tied their tails together with a torch. Um, just. Kind of over the top, right? Okay, but it works, right? Because the foxes they kind of go into a crazy panic and they just run all over and everything burns up. Um, Now some skeptics have have said that they're like, you know, that's impossible. How could Samson have done this? How could he have caught three hundred foxes? And there's like all sorts of arguments and rebuttals trying to prove that um, it is, it was possible for a man to do this. You know, for example, some commentators say that um, the foxes they were actually jackals who normally roam in really large packs. So, you know, that made it possible for Samson to achieve this. Or they said, well, it didn't specify, like, how long it took him to capture them, and it, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily mean that, you know, no one helped him at the time. But to me, it's like, like, I don't know why we need to prove whether this was possible or not. Okay, like, the guy just ripped a lion to shreds, right? He scooped out honey with his bare hands um, against some angry bees, and he came out unfazed. He just killed thirty man thirty men, like with his bare hands, okay, so these things like they're not things that we need to prove by science. like I don't need to like say, "Oh well, the lion must have been a friendly lion, or the bees, you know they must have not had stingers, that's why he was able to get the honey, or those thirty men they were probably sleeping, that's why he was able to attack them um, no, like they're just they're just amazing examples of how strong Samson was, okay. They're miracles. They're things that aren't really possible for any normal man to achieve by himself. So the only thing that we really need to acknowledge is that God can do anything, and he can enable anyone to do anything for his purpose. That's the bottom line, okay? If God says that this happened, then this is what happened, okay? Is it too hard for the creator of the universe to allow a man to capture 300 foxes or jackals? No, of course not. And later on, we'll see that Samson does something even more crazy, even more impossible or ridiculous with the help of the Lord. So we shouldn't doubt what we read here. So Samson, um, he took his vengeance out on the Philistines by burning their crops. And the Philistines, as you can imagine, um, they're not happy. So they ask in verse 6, I don't know to whom they but they ask, right? they ask, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now, this is kind of ironic because the very thing that Samson's wife tried to avoid by tricking him in the first place, it actually happened anyways, right? Um both her and her father ended up being burned, like, literally, um, by their own people. Now, one would think that a person like Samson may not have cared, right? He seemed like, kind of like a petty person who might even, I don't know, rejoice in their death. After all, like, she abandoned him and slept with his best man, and, and her father was the one who kind of ordained it. But actually, the exact opposite was true. He was furious. So he must have actually really loved this, this Tim Knight girl, Okay? Because he was severely offended, look how Samson responds in verse seven and eight. And Samson said to them, "If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that, I will quit." And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Again, we have Samson retaliating against the Philistines. He vows. He's, he he makes a vow. He says, "This time." Like, I'm going to be relentless in my pursuit. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop until they've been avenged. And so he strikes them hip and thigh, which is kind of just like an expression that basically meant um, he ruthlessly, like, slaughtered them, okay? So what exactly is God doing here, right, with this story? What's his plan in all of this? You know, it, it makes it makes for an interesting story, but it doesn't seem like these personal vendettas of Samson... Um, are helping to free Israel from captivity. The chosen savior that we were expecting great things from doesn't seem like he's acting the part. So what happened? Did God leave Israel with this morally unstable second-tier savior? Or did God perhaps choose the wrong guy? You know? Like, no, of course not. See, God is able to use anyone and anything to accomplish his purpose. Psalm 76.10 says this, it says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. See, there is no man or circumstance that's able to thwart God's plan for Israel. God can use anything for his glory. So even a man like Samson, this angry, vengeful, prideful, sinful man, the murderer, God was still able to use him. He used his personal retaliation to accomplish his purpose. See, God, what he's doing here, he's actually setting up the stage here for Samson to do what he was set apart to do even before his birth, okay? And what might seem like small fits of rage and and vengeance and retaliation is actually a part of God's bigger plan to slowly build up enmity between Samson and the Philistines, And as we'll see later on, the drama between them, it just continues to escalate, okay? This was God's purpose for for Samson's retaliation. And this back-and-forth retaliation, eye for an eye, between Samson and the Philistines is going to build up to a point that eventually will lead to Israel's freedom. Just not right now, okay? That's always been God's plan, and nothing has changed it. It's only been furthered by Samson's revenge. Okay, so that's the first section. The first event in Samson's life that God used was Samson's retaliation. He used it to build up the drama between him and the Philistines so that Samson would soon be in an even greater position to strike them. Now for number two, we're going to see how God used the rejection of Samson to do something similar. Okay, So number one is samson's retaliation and number two is samson's rejection samson's rejection god used samson's rejection for a greater purpose let's see what's going on in verse 9 then the philistines came up and encamped in judah and made a raid on lehi and the men of judah said why have you come up against us they said we have come to bind up samson to do to him as he did to us. So Lehi was an encampment within Judah, okay, which was Israelite territory. So before any of these events t- took place, the Israelites, they were actually living very peaceably there. So when the Philistines suddenly raided the city, um, naturally, the people of Judah, they were wondering why. And of course, they came to get Samson, right? They wanted revenge just as badly as he did um, for killing uh, for killing their crops and their people. And so verse 10 says that they came what they came to do to him as he did to us. They wanted revenge. Now remember these were Israelites oppressors, right? And by himself um Samson had just delivered like a really big blow to to um to their oppressors, okay? So you would think that Israel would kind of maybe be on board with him. Right? It would have been kind of an opportune time for them to finally rise up against the Philistines just like they had done to their prior oppressors. They knew Samson was a mighty warrior able to stand up against them, okay? It wasn't like a secret. He had secrets, but this, it wasn't a secret that he was born especially to save them from captivity. Anytime special revelation came, anytime God spoke to a man, you can bet that it was big news that spread, okay? Okay? He was their appointed savior. And it was clear that the Lord was with him by all the things that he was able to do. Okay, we, I mean, we're only seeing a glimpse, but I'm sure there were other times where he showed his strength, okay? But look at how the Israelites responded in verse 11. Then 3,000 men, 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. So God had chosen Samson to deliver Israel from captivity. Um, And instead of accepting him as their leader, they turned on him, as if he did something personally to offend the Israelites. They betrayed Samson and then they asked, what is this that you have done to us, right? Well, he didn't really do anything to them directly. He actually, he attacked the enemy. He attacked their oppressors, but they weren't happy because it stirred the pot. It started to cause conflict. And so then 3,000 men from Judah came to bind him. 3,000 for one man. Okay? See, everyone knew how strong Samson was. Okay? By now, he was, he was recognized by both the Israelites and the Philistines as this man with great strength, blessed by the Lord from birth. He was a strong warrior. So why would the Israelites refuse to stand up with him against the Philistines? Surely they remembered all of the times that the Lord delivered them from captivity. Right? Surely they remembered Ehud, the lefty who slayed the king of Moab. Or Shamgar, who killed 600 with an ox goad, like those poker things. Or Gideon, who defeated the Midianites with how many? With 300. Only 300. Okay. They already had 3,000. <laughs> so time and time again, the Lord raised up judges to lead Israel out of the oppression against impossible odds. But this time was different. This time, their Savior was rejected. Samson, who was set apart from birth to save Israelites, save the Israelites, was betrayed by the very people whom he was there to save. Okay. See, this was very different. This is the downward spiral. This was very different from the beginning of the book where the people of Judah took initiative to fight for the land. Do you remember that? They always rose up to defy their oppressors. They were being crushed. But now, as they've fallen further down that spiral of disobedience, those same men of Judah are saying in verse 11, don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? See, it's just just a matter of fact to them. They've accepted it as their status quo. In the past, Israel always groaned and they begged for God to deliver them from their oppressors because they felt crushed under their rule. The oppression was always strong. It was military or political. But now it seems that the people of Israel don't even care. And I think it's because they like the Philistine culture. They like to serve their gods. They've adapted to their values and and morals or lack thereof. They intermarried and they probably sought to marry the Philistines now as a way to increase their status in society. See, they sounded almost more comfortable than oppressed. And though this might seem like less of a deal because they, were physical, they weren't like physically, seemingly like physically or politically beaten down, this Philistine rule might have been the most dangerous oppression so far. See, they weren't just being conquered. They were being infiltrated. It wasn't just their land that was at risk, okay? It was their faith. It was their culture. It was their tradition and their way of life. The people who were set apart for the Lord were now becoming indistinguishable from the surrounding nations. Okay? They were on their way to extinction. Within a few generations, they could have been totally assumed by the Philistine nation. It's kind of like when um, we kind of like talk about first, second, and third generation, like Chinese, you know. It's like, oh, you're still like, you know, washed up or something. Like every time, every every older Chinese lady that I talk to, they're always like, you need to speak chinese you know and that's because they value they have they value that culture okay they want to fight to keep it but see the israelites they accepted this philistine rule they didn't want samson they no longer wanted to fight for the traditions that god had established to protect them this is one of the reasons why it was so important for israel not to intermarry with the surrounding nations it was so important for Samson not to go and marry a Philistine, okay? God wasn't telling them to be racist. He was protecting them from serving their gods. The established laws and traditions were designed to help them remember the goodness of God. They were there to keep them from being drawn away to other things that would cause them to sin. But look what happened as a result. They never fully drove out the surrounding nations, right? From the very beginning, they never drove them out for the land. And so they were constantly being pulled away from God, constantly drawn into the sin that became their own. So Israel, they were losing their culture, which was centered on worship to the one true God. And instead, they were trading it for false gods, pagan worship. They liked it. This is why they didn't cry out to the Lord for help. And this is why they rejected Samson as their savior. They didn't want to be saved. They were comfortable where they were at. And this is so relevant to the church today, right? Where the body of Christ is supposed to be distinguished from the world, we find ourselves making an effort to blend in. And it's easy to lose sight of our mission if we're so busy working so hard to fit in with what the world has established as normal. So much of what we do is dictated by, by media norms and, and the culture around us, the sex and immodesty, building our portfolio and career, doing what feels good, absolute tolerance and freedom. This is what the Bible was referring to when it said that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. Okay? The more we take in from the world around us, the more like it will become. And if we're not careful we both individually and as a community can make the same, mistake, same mistakes that israel made okay over and over again michael wilcox said this in one of his books he said there is no such thing as a harmonious existence as a harmonious coexistence between the church and the world for where there is no conflict it is because the world has taken over See, if we blend so much into the culture, into the world, that we have absolutely no moral conflict with those around us, then it might be time to re-examine what we're doing here. Okay. I really appreciate that every year, usually at the beginning of the year, this church or the church leadership kind of takes a small break from what we're doing just to re-emphasize the mission of the church. Okay? And I think it's because it's really it can be really easy for a church that's growing to start, to start shifting the focus on the things that are secondary to the mission, which is to make disciples, right? Just like this past Sunday, right, when PH was bringing, the, the purpose of the lamp is to shine, right? We don't blend with the darkness. You don't put a cover over it. Our light should remain distinguished from those around us, distinguished from the world. So let's not lose sight of that and get comfortable with the way that the world operates. Let's not let the world infiltrate our faith lest we end up in the same vicious cycle as Israel. Okay, so let's get back on track with verse 12, okay? So the Israelites, they rejected Samson as their savior and they bound him up, right, in those ropes. And of course, Samson, he's kind of indifferent, okay? He says, as they did to me, so I have done to them, okay? He's like, what's the big deal, right? They're your enemy, right? I attacked them. What's the big deal? So look what happens next. And remember, um, we're kind of looking, gotta remind you, we're, we're looking at how God is using Samson's rejection to accomplish his purpose, okay? Look at the second half of verse 12. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourself, They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now this is somewhat surprising. right? Samson, the hothead, he actually surrenders himself to the Israelites. He doesn't put up a fight, though he could have probably easily done so. Um, He doesn't even act in anger. He probably could have even killed them if they wanted to, but he kind of just makes them promise not to attack him. He didn't want to hurt the men of Judah because he knew that they weren't, they weren't the enemy. Okay? Samson was actually quite patient towards them despite their um, betrayal towards him. Um, but they totally rejected him. And he willingly surrendered. It's as though Samson was kind of giving his life up for them which was commendable actually. So they bound Samson with new ropes and prepared to hand him over to their rulers. And what happens in the next verses is pretty amazing. Here's here's where we get to how God used Samson's rejection to accomplish his purpose, okay? Verse 14. When he, that Samson, came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. The spirit of the Lord then rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms Became as flax that has caught fire, and the bonds melted off of his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. So, right as Samson was being delivered into the hands of the Philistines, the Philistines were shouting right? It's just kind of what you do to celebrate obnoxiously, right? You just kind of make all these crazy sounds, like, like kind of out of like a Warriors game or like a graduation. Um, anytime like a shot is made or the person kind of walks across the stage, you're just like, yeah, you're just making all sorts of like crazy sounds, right? That's what the Philistines were doing. They came in shouting. They thought they had finally captured this enemy that was like smiting them, okay? Um, it was celebratory, um, they were celebrating, but then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. And we've seen this phrase before, right? It happened twice in chapter 14, um, once when he was killing the lion um, in verse 6, and then he killed those thirty men. when he killed those 30 men, it said the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. But it also happened several times to the other judges, like, I don't remember how to pronounce this guy, Othniel, Othniel, I don't know, Gideon, Jephthah, and any time the spirit of the Lord rushed upon them, They were given supernatural abilities to do um, things that just weren't possible on their own. And so as the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, suddenly he was like given this super strength. It was like Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk, right? Or kind of, I don't know, Goku turning into like a super saiyan or something. And so he broke off the ropes, the new ropes, like they were nothing. The Bible describes it as, as flax that caught fire. It's as if they just melted off his hands like that's how strong he was and to prove that his strength wasn't dependent on any weapon he picked up the first thing that he saw which was a fresh jawbone of a donkey literally like a moist jawbone sorry i know some people don't like that word for some reason i don't know why but that's the literal translation okay he probably like ripped ripped off he ripped off this freshly freshly dead Uh, is that Freshly dead, freshly dead carcass, okay, from this freshly dead carcass, it's oxymoron, I don't know, and with it, he slayed a thousand men in one go. That's incredible, right? One man with a donkey bone versus a thousand soldiers. Place your bets, right? The one man came out on top. Now, this isn't like one of those cheesy kung fu movies, Okay. You know, like, there's, like, I, I can't stand these sometimes. There's, like, this one grand karate master with a bunch of thugs or lackeys, right, and they have their clubs. And even though, like, they're, they're, like, severely outnumbering him, they're all just standing around, like, doing nothing like this, right? They're just, like, like doing this. And they're just going in and out waiting to do something. And, of course, like, they go in one at a time, right, like lemmings. And the guy's just, like, wah, wah, wah. And he's just, like, killing them one at a time. And I always get frustrated watching those scenes because it's like, dude, just attack him at the same time. At the same time, he only has so many limbs, right? You can't, you can't, like, if if all ten of you can't, you, you can't do anything. Okay, but anyways, this was not like that, okay? This was a real Philistine encampment. These were real Philistine soldiers, they had weapons and shields and armor. They they would have shot arrows from a distance or threw spears at him from afar, okay? Not like those dumb, like, come on, like, you know what I'm talking about. Um, they wouldn't wait around, like, they're not gonna wait around for each person to be knocked down individually, like, oh, boom, oh, boom, oh, boom. You know, it's not like whack-a-mole. Um, it's in war, like, this is war, Right? You take down the enemy at all costs. It's survival of the fittest. I wish I was there just to see like how it went down. It's just like insane. Like all he had was this jawbone of a donkey. Like, come on, like really? Like he wasn't even wearing any armor. Right? You deliver this guy out to the Philistines, you don't put him in like some super suit. He wasn't even wearing any armor. It just it just wasn't humanly possible. I don't even think I could greet one thousand men without getting tired from shaking hands and smiling. Like let alone fight them and kill them? Like, see, Samson, he must have been enhanced in other ways. Okay, I don't know. It doesn't say, but I don't think it was just brute strength, right? I think it was his speed, his dexterity, his stamina, maybe his mind, maybe even his body was somehow impervious to pain, or his skin was made tougher. I don't know exactly, but somehow the Spirit of the Lord empowered him to accomplish this task, okay? Okay. And by the way, what were all those men of Judah doing who delivered him? What were they doing there? Like, it didn't seem like anyone picked up a weapon to help him, right? 3,000 men, 3,000 soldiers, right, to deliver Samson. What were they doing? They must have been, like, passively watching it. Just, just like, <laughs> what is going on here, Right? 3,000 Israelite warriors, not a single one of them lifted a finger to help him. See, unlike the previous times, Samson, he was a one-man army. He was alone, okay? See, God, he never needed to raise an army of thousands or even 300 to rescue Israel. God was able to accomplish this through a single man. A thousand Philistines killed in a single day by one man with zero casualties, okay? This is something only God could, could accomplish in his sovereignty. He used Samson's rejection to put him in this position for miraculous slaughter. A thousand men, the donkey bone. <laughs> so at first glance, it seems pitiful that Israel betrayed the Savior that God had provided, Right? God was not only, um, but God was not, he was not only able to use Samson um, despite his flaws and despite him being rejected. He was actually able to accomplish his purpose through them, okay? God doesn't say, oh, shucks, like Israel rejected the leader that I chose for them. Looks like I'll have to save them some other way. Maybe I'll send another guy or, you know, maybe I'll send a tornado or something. Like he could have done that. But no, like he used Israel's rejection of Samson to do what he had already planned to do. It was through Samson's rejection that God fulfilled his purpose. He's continuing to fulfill his purpose, which is towards the end of saving Israel. See, God isn't set back or thwarted by any man or group of people. His plans aren't built around our decisions. Okay? He knows everything and he does as he pleases. No matter what we do or how badly we try to mess things up, God can use whatever situation and whomever he pleases to carry out his will. There's no plan B with God. Everything functions under his sovereignty. Okay, And so even through Samson's rejection, God used it to decimate a Philistine encampment. And through all of this, okay, the bigger picture is, the tension between Samson and the Philistines continued to rise. And eventually, it's going to lead to their deliverance. Okay, okay so God used both Samson's retaliation and his rejection to further his plan to free Israel from the Philistines. Okay. Now, um, getting towards that, let's, let's go briefly through the last point, which um, is Samson's revival. Remember the three R's, retaliation, rejection, and revival. So God is going to use Samson's revival now to fulfill his purpose. Continuing from verse 16, it says, And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramathlehi. Samson is just just kind of a funny character with his riddles and stuff, right? And so, verse sixteen um, is actually kind of like a poem. It's kind of like a, a play on words. Um, they're supposed to kind of rhyme, sort of, or sound very similar. Um, if he were around today, he'd probably kind of be like a he kind of like probably be a good rapper. He likes he likes these riddles and he likes rhyming and stuff. But anyways it's It's kind of difficult to translate, but the word for heap like heaps upon heaps in the original language it sounds very similar to the word for donkey, okay, so one commentator one commentator said um like kind of like an English equivalent that you to just for you to understand would be like this it would say, with the jawbone of an ass, I piled them in a mass, so it's kind of like this rhyme, um these play on words in the in the original language, okay. Of course, I'm only using that because it's the same thing as a donkey, okay? So Samson is gloating. Um, he's gloating over his victory. He's, like, singing this song, right, with this catchy phrase. And then he kind of, like, throws this job. He's, like, he throws the job on him as if he, like, scored a touchdown or something. And so obviously Samson is very proud of this achievement, right? But he actually didn't do this on his own. It was the spirit of the Lord that empowered him to do it, right? God gave Samson the victory, and Samson needed to be reminded of that. He needed to be humbled. So look what happens next in verse 18. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God placed this life-threatening thirst on Samson, to remind him of his true source of the strength. He wasn't given strength because he was something special. Okay, Samson was just a man. And it wasn't because Samson was exceptionally moral. Right, In fact, he was the exact opposite. He married the outsider. His anger was uncontrollable. He acted in vengeance. Um, He broke his vows. He was a murderer. He did what was right in his own eyes. Yet God still chose him to be a judge over Israel, And granted him this special strength to carry out his purpose. But after God um, afflicted him with this extreme thirst, he was humbly reminded that he was just a servant of the Lord. He gave credit um, to where credit was due. And he called out to the Lord saying, you have granted this great salvation. You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? The great warrior Samson, right, slew a thousand men with just a jawbone, now begging for mercy because he's thirsty, right? Even the greatest, the greatest warrior falls weak at God's command. And Every now and then, God does the same thing to us in order to prevent us, in order to prevent us from becoming prideful. He'll afflict us momentarily so that we recognize God's hand in all that we do. We each have like unique gifts and talents. These were just all given to us. We're just stewards. We're servants of the Most High King. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So after he was afflicted, Samson recognized that he was just a servant of the Lord what did God do in response, verse 19? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called Enhakore. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So God miraculously um, provided this water for Samson he provided the water that Samson needed to be revived. It says when he drank, his spirit returned, and he was revived. And so through Samson's revival, God humbled his servant and allowed him to judge Israel for 20 more years. But God's work through Samson wasn't done yet, right? He was still needed to deliver the final blow to the Philistines. He was revived so that he can complete another task. It just it wasn't his time yet. So God revived him. But a day would come soon where Samson would sacrifice his own life to ultimately fulfill God's purpose. And in chapter 16, next week, um, we'll finally get to see Samson as that savior, sort of, um, that we hoped for from the beginning. But for now, uh, we can remember that God used um, Samson with these three R's, the retaliation, his rejection, and his revival, to accomplish his purpose of saving Israel, um, whether they like it or not. i close with this. I think sometimes when we read stories like these in the Old Testament, um, we can forget that the Old Testament is supposed to point us to something greater. Okay? It's supposed to leave us longing for a better Savior. And that Savior is none other than Jesus Christ. Right? Like Samson Jesus was set apart from birth to save Israel. He performed many miraculous signs. He was rejected by Israel. He willingly gave up his life to be delivered into the hands of the enemy, and he is revived by God. And not only in spite of, but through him, Israel would be saved. At one point, we were all like Israel. We rejected our Savior. We wanted nothing to do him. We were happy living lives under the dominion of sin. We were content with living our lives according to the world. We didn't cry out for a savior because we didn't want one. But praise be to God that despite our retaliation against him, despite our rejection of him, despite us being dead in our trespasses and sins, we were sent a savior we were revived through the living water. See, God keeps his promises. Even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. And though we rejected him and delivered him into the hands of the enemy, our one and only true Savior, Jesus Christ, surrendered his life out of, out of love for us. He didn't have any ulterior motive like Samson. He never acted out in anger or vengeance, though at any time he could have called legions of angels for his deliverance. He never broke any vows. He was innocent in every action that he performed, sinless. He was morally perfect. He conquered his enemies not with strength, but through weakness. And out of love, he willingly and knowingly gave his perfect life to save the very ones who rejected him. If God had not acted on our behalf, we would still be stuck in our sin. But he provided a way out um, through his only son so that we would be delivered from sin's oppression. That's the Savior that Israel was longing for. And that's the Savior that was given to us. Okay? So maybe we be, may we be encouraged today um, that though God has accomplished many things. Um, He's accomplished his purpose through Samson's life. A better savior has already come through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Judges and how it reminds us um, of your endless mercy towards us. Though we are people prone to making the same mistakes um, like Israel, we thank you that you have remained faithful to your promises towards us. Thank you for um, just reminding us that you're able to accomplish your purpose despite and even through our own weaknesses. Thank you for um, sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be our true savior, savior, the one that Israel was longing for. We thank you that through him our sins can be forgiven if only we come to faith. We ask that you would be able to, um, that we would be able to um, just walk in a manner worthy of our savior so that we would not be drowned out by the world's voice, but that our light would would shine um, so that others would be drawn to it. We love you. We thank you um, for your word. In your name we pray. Amen.